0: You want to be quick enough to get there soon, but not so quick that actually it becomes a a failed example rather than a successful one. I think that's the constant battle. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Pete Seligman, and I'm here with Don Hosworth and Andrew Murray. And today we're going to have a bit more of a technical focus. We're getting get into quite a few details, and we're going to be talking about the Three Horizons model. And these guys are going to take us into a bit of depth on that. And the, the reason why I think this is really relevant for a lot of the businesses that we work with, a lot of the businesses we invest in, is that it's a nice way of breaking down your longer-term vision and your longer-term strategy into a few moving parts and then you can really focus on how you're going to deploy your energy over time and it means that you can actually overlay various strategies on top of each other that prepares you for the future. So to kick things off, just to provide some context, can you do like a 30-second bio, maybe Andrew go first and then we'll come back this way to to Don. So who are you and, and why are you here? Andrew Barry, Managing Director of
1: of Alpen in our advisory business. I've been working with Pete for a few years on building that that out. I've got a background in engineering, civil engineering, finance and infrastructure. Hi, Don
2: Holter. I'm a consultant with Alpen these days. My background is a mixture of consulting. I was a partner with McKinsey & Company, which will be interesting to the story here, and held a number of jobs at international companies in CMO positions around the world.
0: Excellent. Thank you. So, I know that you guys have kind of done a little bit of thinking about how you want this to play out so um, I'm actually going to put myself in your hands <laughs> and let you walk us through how this might work and I think you're saying at one point I might end up going from the interviewer to the you interviewee will. so feel free to <laughs> play away I'm in your hands. So how, how would you like to start? What's the best way to kind of bring I, some context to this thing? I, I think the first is probably
1: to look at some of the, the history of the Three Horizons framework and, and where it all began because I think that gives some good context for why we like it, and it's probably you, Don, in terms mm-hmm. of your experience when you're in McKinsey. It was during a period when this was, was put forward, and there's a huge amount of data and research that actually went into developing the Three Horizons. So, I'll probably hand it to Don. It on. actually started as a research
2: project in the Sydney office of McKinsey Company in response to a whole series of clients saying, uh, What advice can you provide about sustainable growth? And what they did is tapped into the McKinsey network around the world, looked at about 700 companies in about 10 different countries around the world to identify those rare, relatively rare companies who were able to over 10 plus years sustain growth and there's about 70 case examples that they wrote up those companies that managed to restart growth after a period of no sales growth uh, and those companies were unable to sustain growth over a period of time and try to then interview those companies and the executives of those companies to figure out what distinguished those three groups of companies what differentiated the, unicorns, if you like, that were able to sustain growth over over a large period of time from those that were unable to do so. And that research project, after a couple of years, ended up in a publication called The Alchemy of Growth by three of the McKinsey people, Um, and it's that framework that was uh, basically made public in about 2000 that's endured for now the best part of almost 20 years and has been applied by us and others uh, in many different circumstances that we're here to talk about.
1: Yeah, it's probably worth touching in why, touching on why we like it for our type of client set. There's a few key parts of it. One is that it allows, it allows us and our clients to manage a portfolio of growth opportunities at one point in time. It allows us to focus on growth in terms of initiatives while keeping a focus on the core and in actual fact, looking at the core of the business and finding a way for that core to fund the future initiatives. So, so we like that, but, it, but
0: it's about looking at those things at the current moment in time as opposed to getting them at some point in the future where often it's too late it's interesting. I think a lot of either the businesses that we've invested in or worked with feel like the decision around growth is somewhat binary or mutually exclusive. Like, it's like I'm either going to run my business or I'm going to grow it. And if I change my mindset to growth, then I risk the core. Or if I need to keep the wheels turning, then I can't possibly think about growth now, right now, because I've got a business to run. So I imagine this is the kind of thing that might help people break out of that framework and see that you can actually yeah, you and can actually do both at once. And, and even more subtly, what they discovered was that you had to have initiatives
2: for growth over very different time frames with very different objectives. That it wasn't sufficient just to have ideas of how to grow the core business, because eventually that will mature and either competition or other circumstances will halt the growth of that business in the market. You have to be planning the next stage and the stage after that, and that's what the Three Horizons really consists of, which is initiatives that you're working on in the core business today to shore profitability and deliver returns in the sort of zero to three, five, three year time frame, but also have a series of things in your portfolio that are the next stage of growth, where you're extending the core business out into related businesses usually, that you're pretty confident you can pull off. They may be initiatives right now that lose money, but you think they'll be turned into profit in three years or so. But beyond that, you also need to start investing in longer term growth initiatives that may have a five year maturity horizon on them that are looking at really options for growth that are beyond the core business and that you can extend. So now you're talking about diversifying into related businesses that you can leverage your skills in. And that the results of the research project said is that you have to have a portfolio that's balanced, Mm -hmm. that you've got initiatives in all three of those in order to deliver returns today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow. And that was the secret, which is... You really need to do an audit at the beginning to understand where you are now. Do you have enough going on in these three horizons to sustain growth? And without all three horizons being populated, the experience from the research is that you'll run out of steam at some point, or you'll run into a valley
0: where sales will be flat for a a period of years. and, And I don't want to jump ahead on what might come out in the rest of the conversation, but like, would there be examples of businesses that, I imagine there'd be plenty of examples of businesses where they're just focused on horizon one and they haven't thought about number two and three. Are there others where they're only thinking about three and they're not spending oh, enough time on one and two? Uh,
2: absolutely, so, yeah. But one of the failings is to get the balance wrong Yeah. and that if you don't have enough in, in Horizon 1, you're not going to be able to deliver to your shareholders and deliver profitability. And It doesn't matter whether you've got some great ideas that are five years away in Horizon 3, you're never going to get a chance yeah. to realize them. Similarly, if you don't have anything in the middle, you, in other words, you're delivering great profits now and you've got some great ideas but they're five or eight years away, you're probably going to run into a huge sales slope halfway through this and you may again never get the opportunity to realise the, the longer term dream.
1: Yeah I think what we also see is, is those you can get some clients where you're a company that's focused on the core and don't have that pipeline of new initiatives coming through you could get others that focus really intently on innovation and so if you look at Horizon 3 that's there but there's nothing to bridge it forward and so it runs out of steam before they can come to fruition. That, that's pretty common. Well, there's a couple of large kind of case studies that we can probably work through mm-hmm. on, on a few well known businesses that have some got that right and some got that wrong. But one of the other things that we like about it is that it, it's the ability to manage each of these initiatives, depending on which horizon they sit in, deliberately and differently. Because if you're looking at a Horizon 2 or a Horizon 3 initiative, managing like that like your core business um, has similar problems around it. Um, if it's focused on growth and we're managing it for profitability it might be that that initiative actually requires us to be more intent around uh, market share on uh, achieving, attracting new customers. There's other metrics that go around it. And the beauty with the framework is that you can be quite deliberate on what those
0: key drivers are and recognise that they're different to what you do in your core business currently. So obviously the, the horizons terminology is kind of on a journey and each horizon is like over the next horizon and that kind of concept, right? Like that's where the terminology wants to come from. Can you, for people that have like, that are, not even close to having been exposed to it, like what is a really simple description of, of this model? Like what's the simplest way of describing, here's the model that's three horizons?
2: Well, I think if you take the first the shape the three arcs, they're overlapping arcs, and when you join all the arcs up together, what you get is a smooth, progressive growth over time. But underlying that are three different arcs, and the arcs are actually describing where the sales are coming from, that give you that 10, 20 year smooth, continued growth. And that the first arc is, as we talked about before, are initiatives that are growing the core of the business. You're either saving costs or line-extending the business into related areas that you're very confident of that are delivering the sort of zero to three time horizon. But you have to, at the same time you're doing those, have invested in the next arc, which are things that right now you may have to plow money into to make them viable, but they're extensions of the current business into new areas. They may do geographies. They may do new related industries, and then beyond that is the, th- the third art is things that are really quite new to the business, where you're leveraging usually an asset or a skill base into something completely different, and you're essentially making bets on future sources of growth, which may be technologies or they may be emerging businesses and capabilities that are a long way from fruition, but are your bets, your long term bets of being able to sustain this, and as time goes on. You continue to repopulate the short term with new ideas and, and most companies are good at doing that. And what that's on top of that to sustain the growth as that business matures are your horizon two ideas that then start to become things that you realize. And three then feeds on top and you just continue yeah. to replenish this portfolio. But you need to have them all populated in order to get the sustained single curve. Yeah, great. Do you
0: want to jump into either like an example or an example, example. how do you but want to go? go? Right don't struggling with jumping into the Let's
2: disney disney case example. I think one of the classics that was actually in, written up in the book is disney mm-hmm. because it's we have the advantage of being to look over almost 100 years of disney and it's a great example and I'll look at some notes. As everybody knows back in the 20s disney started as an animation and character licensing company that led it into a whole lot of publishing and comics that eventually that core business grew into stores and merchandising and that was the core of the business that still exists today. But while they were still in the animation business, Walt Disney had already started trying to figure out how to build the capabilities and the technology in those days to get into animated films. And that was a Horizon 2 for him. That by the time they got into the 30s, they could get into animated films. And then that stream of work in that Horizon 2 then evolved into television and media production. And the Horizon 3, while all that was going on, was Walt was dreaming about parks and leisure parks which did come to fruition for almost 20 years until they opened the first parks in the 50s. And the parks business then continued to evolve into cruise ships and hotels. And when you look at all this laid out over 100 years, you see a core business that then has another layer of film and television production. And then you get parks and hotels and cruise ships on top of that that builds up to the steady curve that shows Walt Disney growing over in almost 100 years now, I think we're in 85 or 90 years worth of growth. And each horizon, each initiative that went, that added the next level of fuel to this growth um, had to be funded from the core business that still exists today, it still generates a huge amount of profit. But it's this meticulous planning about, well, when the animation and publishing business reaches maturity, what are we going to be doing? And the answer is films. And when the film business starts to mature, and we have lots of competition in animated films, which is what happened. Of course, as you're successful, you get lots of imitators and lots of other animated film companies created. Well, then he went into television to create cartoons and started a whole new business and thinking about, well, that'll invite competition and that'll mature eventually. So what's the next idea? Theme parks was an idea around using all these characters and of course that'll have a limit to how many people you can attract. It's a very fixed business, so in a given area, only so many people will come. What can you do beyond that? Well. People have to stay somewhere to come to my parks because they often come for multiple days. I'll open hotels. And that was a great business. And they built lots of Disney hotels. And eventually, you've got all the hotels you need around your theme parks. What comes next? Well, let's take that experience and put it on a cruise boat. So I'll buy some cruise boats and run Disney cruises. And you just see at each stage, it's thinking, what what next? What next? After this business, business matures over the next five years, what next? And that's that's the crucial piece of thinking that we've got to get business owners to really have the discipline to come down and and. and Populate that portfolio so that you always know what next and what's beyond next. Because mm-hmm. if you're not working on it now, it'll be too late by the time the existing business matures to actually get this idea up and running. In and time. it is
0: really easy, particularly for owners of, of smaller rather than bigger businesses, to not necessarily rest on your laurels, but kind of get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like saying, this thing's spitting out money, right? And it's and it's been running for how long, and it seems fine, so I'm really comfortable, and it's all working. And it's, it's not just a
2: big company idea, and this, this is the whole that's essence right. of why it's valued to us, which is, you know, it's great when we talk about billion dollar corporations, but mm-hmm. what relevance has this got to a small company? And, yeah. and we've got a great case example of uh, wanting to talk through that, of how this, you know, it, exactly the same principles are relevant to businesses, a hundreds or thousands
1: of that size. Yeah, absolutely. What well, one that, before we jump on that, though, I think it's worth probably stepping through some larger case studies yeah. of those companies that haven't quite hit the mark. And I mean, we've looked at one here um, around Coca-Cola Amatol, which if you look back over time, there was success there in terms of adding new products, new initiatives into the business. But, but as they grew, the, the horizon threes that were coming through were so small that they never had the consequence back on the business because Amateur was such a large beast by that time. And so, and so you started to see their growth start to drop off. When you compare that to someone like Disney, where you've got these massive initiatives coming through, it's well aligned with the nature of the existing core business. It leverages the competitive advantage that's already there. You can see this really sustained growth. And even recently, we're seeing that in them launching their subscription service. This is the next this is the next manifestation of them leveraging that competitive advantage on what they would have looked at in recent history as a Horizon 3 Ooh. or Horizon 2 maybe. Yeah, but, it's, but it's really coming through and it's about to launch. And it'll have huge scale where if we compare that to, say, Amical, some of the initiatives that are coming through just didn't have the, the
0: scale to deliver. They weren't it's, big enough. No, uh, exactly. Like, so it needs to be suited to the size. Yes, yeah, because yeah. you got to think,
2: you're, you're trying to grow on top of a core business that's already grown to its maturity. So Amazon, which everybody probably knows is, is the Coke franchise or franchisee. Amazon's a Coke franchisee in Australia, has a very large soft drinks business. And the question is, what happens next? Um, they correctly identified that at some point this is going to get pretty mature and that people won't be able to drink any more of the stuff. In fact, it's actually gone in decline all around the world. So they quite correctly decided geography was the next obvious thing and with Coke's help started to expand their and leverage their skills by taking up the franchisee options in Eastern Europe as the Berlin Wall came down in They became a major franchisee in previous Soviet-controlled countries and took up the franchises there and did reasonably well. And then they started to expand that geography into Asia, and that's where the wheels started to fall off the machine. Their expansion into Korea and some of the other markets really didn't pan out very well. They had some Verizon 3 stuff going on, so they were doing all the right kind of planning, but here's where it really got in, got in trouble. is that they decided to leverage their distribution capabilities and their experience into other beverages. So they started to buy themselves into coffee with the purchase of a coffee, small coffee chain and uh, fruit juices and, and, and water businesses. But The problem was their steps were much too tentative, and there wasn't a follow on yeah. from the initial step. And that when they had this huge coke franchise business as the core, buying a you know 10 to 50 million dollar coffee business just has no impact. Yeah, and they weren't bold enough to yeah. say we get into the coffee business, we'll learn about it, and then we'll expand it. They were too satisfied that they'd filled all ticked all the boxes but hadn't grown those businesses in evolve. and evolved. We might come back to the Disney story, you know, he started going into animated films, then it became television. Um, so what was missing in Amazon's Well, what after you've bought on mm. um, this small coffee company? What comes next? What's the big move next mm. that keeps that stream of business going? And they just ran out of steam, which yeah. just got them into the dilemma they're in today, yeah.
0: which is those initiatives were all there, but they just weren't big weren't enough. Big enough. enough. It's, it's interesting, like, um, you know, we're we'll talking about skiing accidents before, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know whether this is the case with your <laughs> recent skiing accident, but... Definitely I find if, if I'm standing at the top of a hill and it looks a bit sketchy, if I'm tentative, I'll fail for sure. Like if you don't really, go, like you've got to go, right? You've got to say, I'm going to have a go at this and I'm actually going to put myself full into it. And it's the same kind of thing you're talking about there. It's like saying, you know, if you've got all this momentum and then you kind of just dabble, that's not good enough. For a business of that size. Yeah, it's not like, like taking it, it, un- it's un- almost, risk. It's I mean all, a lot of these no, small initial exactly.
2: purchases were great it's, ways it, to find out and learn the business and understand what their business model would be to be competitive. But then you've got to
0: invest in them to make yeah. them big enough to be matter. Yeah, and or the to problem, make, they to have make a big that test business. worth it. Yeah. 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 I think there's
1: two things there is risk and conviction. Hmm. Um, and and this is one of the benefits that we see in terms of using the framework with our clients. It's it's having conviction on what those growth initiatives. We personally enjoy working with our clients to to build that level of confidence to say, let's go, like being a top mountain, Let's go all in. This is going to be this is going to be risky. We understand some of the risk involved. We've got a view that this is critical. We're going in with conviction. There've got to be audacious steps to make this work. Growth is not easy to achieve. You've, sometimes you've got to go in quite hard and back yourself through but Yeah, we definitely do it, giving our clients mm-hmm. the confidence to to make that do it. And, and the way
2: you get that confidence is actually by understanding those investments you're making and understanding those markets well. It's, it's not enough just to say, oh, we'll have a ge- geographic expansion. They went into Eastern Europe with basically a blank sheet of paper because there was no competition here, basically, when they took, a, took the Pope franchise into Eastern Europe. And that worked quite well, but when they actually took their business into Asia, they were facing a completely different situation and that they actually were unable to leverage their assets into Asia in the situations that were in places like Korea. They just couldn't get themselves out of the box. Mm-hmm. And so that they hadn't done the due diligence to make sure that Korea could actually turn into a big idea before they committed a lot of funds. And then with the coffee and the others, they, they again weren't feeding those businesses so that they became significant enough. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't, they should have found something to replace them. And that, that they are still there and they have those businesses, but they're just not important. Yeah. Uh, the code franchise at the core is still what drives the business and that was left to actually uh, because the Horizon 2 stuff wasn't done yeah. well. But the core of business stills ended up being the co-franchise. Mm. Um, and the Horizon 3s just turned up to be too small right scale. And yeah. they're all very nice, but they're all tiny yeah.
1: businesses. And I think if, if we look at some of the clients we're working with now, I, I think we see clients who kind of sit on either side of that spectrum. There's some that are highly entrepreneurial, dive into new markets, maybe not with the data and validation to back up some of the decisions oh. that then come after that. And then we've got the other side where it, it's it's somewhat of a very cautious approach, but but growth lacking. It's not taking those next big steps. Again, it's trying to work those just opportunities balance. through. There yeah. is a balance, definitely. Yeah. And it's some of these issues we've talked about with large companies like, like Coke. The same thing applies back on the type of companies Ooh. as well. Hmm. Yeah.
0: So what else can we learn about free horizons? Like what, what do you want to do next? Do you want to like talk about a smaller business? Ooh. Have you got a case study that you want to do there? We've got a great What's case study, stuff? I think, in, um, in Duncan Parking Solutions, which is where <laughs> so we, we start to put from people from. on the spot. So we flip, we
1: flipped this whole interview process around. <laughs> right. I'm I'm now ready. So yeah. I have to recommend Don, you can launch on Horizon One as a seat i guess the question is, is
2: is talk us through the the Duncan Solutions from what was the original core business and yep. why it was attractive yep. and what came next. Yeah, great. Yep. And how that then fueled the you know, so, same growth. So,
0: Duncan Solutions is a business that's been around actually for about 80 years in name and was the name Duncan was the name of the business in America that invented the very first parking machine, you know, the one where you put in the coin mm-hmm. and the thing goes across. So, it's got a really, really long history and we bought that business four, four years ago. And at the time, and still today, probably the biggest install base of on-street parking machines in Australia. And at the time it was integrated with a business by the same name in the US that provides more kind of fines and follow-up type services rather than technology. So it's more than the man labor kind of proportion of the process. And we just bought the Australian piece. So without getting into too much detail, you could probably say that at the time, what was attractive, um, big install base like, blue-chip customers, meaning kind of government-related customers, so good payers, good long-term contracts, a good foundation base in technology. So if you think about, again, very simplistically, the stack, the technology stack, you've got a machine in the street that can take coins and various other bits and pieces that everyone's interacted with. That machine then needs to talk to a bunch of other technology that may be in the street or in the cloud, and then right at the top of that, there's a management interface that the council themselves can log into to then manage their parking platform. So in Sydney there's something like 1,500 parking machines around the streets and someone at the city of Sydney can log in via our platform to have a look at how they're all tracking both in terms of maintenance and also revenue and changing sort of particular tariffs or whatever on that. But the original
2: technology was the one we're still familiar with, the machines that you... Go and buy a ticket and stick in your windshield. Correct. Yeah, and so what, pay and display. Yep. And what was the core idea for improving the business that you bought from day one? What were the things that you did?
0: Yeah, so from from day one, I mean, Duncan had sat as a portfolio business within a large investment portfolio of a, of a of private family fund. And so really the first thing that was the main opportunity was, I guess you'd say, kind of just tightening up the operation. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, there was things... Control. Yeah, there were things that we could do to just improve the function of that, you know, using the, the analogy of a mechanic with a car, it's kind of then just lifting the bonnet and tightening that and tweaking that and improving the flow of that and it's blowing a bit of smoke Can we tweak that, you know, those kind of things. So, you know, looking at utilization of the service team, improving the productivity of the engineering team, looking at how we can make the internal processes more efficient. I guess a lot of people will call that kind of low-hanging fruit, but really just get in there and improve the operation of the yeah, business. That's what Horizon all about, which is getting the most you can out of the core business. Mm-hmm. But at some point,
2: you got all you can out of the engine. Yeah. What next?
0: Yeah. So I think when we bought it, there were a few... Irons in the fire, and i love have fire analogies too uh, for anyone who looks at what I do. We had a few irons in the fire at the time, but if you think about smart cities technology, a big part of that conversation at the moment is Internet of Things. And one of the great things about parking machines, particularly those that are connected to the cloud, like ours are, is that they provide a hub for Internet of Things. So things like in-ground sensors, cameras, environmental sensors, various other things. And so we had a few kind of experiences with those technologies in installation and a lot of experience internally in technology development but really i'd say if i was thinking about what you've described as being the second horizon i'd be saying more sensors in the ground more integration with cameras those kinds of so what you'll see happening quite a lot in australia at the moment is a move from uh pay and display which is what you described to pay by plate and the reason for that there's quite a few reasons for that it allows things like you to pay via an app it allows camera technology to do mm-hmm. license plate recognition and provide effectively uh, ticketing and fine uh, and fining without people on the ground. But also you'll notice more sensors in the ground, provides other kind of opportunities. So if you so the
2: business though, there were already there projects was one, underway about
0: sensors. There was one installed okay. um, sensor, which was North Sydney, and there were projects in the pipeline, but actually a bunch of kind of technical... Technology work that still needed to be done right. to really make it, but already they have identified what it was, what came next. Correct. Kind of it around. was proven. Right. Yeah, it was yeah. proven enough, yeah. and and still working on that. Yeah. And so now,
2: is are sensors in the ground now, growing the core business profitability? A- absolutely. Is so if you look at the last the
0: last major contracts with the Gold Coast, Liverpool City Council, Geelong, and it's probably more, all of them integrated sensors, cameras, and our machine and cloud. Yeah, so that's now. And what next? When you finish installing sensors? Good question. So I think, as everyone knows, everything's going to an app, right? And I think that that is still a massive question. If I had kind of three people in the room, which might be an idea for another podcast here, (laughs) three people in the room that are talking about mobility and mobility as a service and and smart city apps, and there would be three, ten different opinions on what might happen. Is the city going to lead that? Is it going to be a be as platform, individual apps going to manage different bits of mobility? Is it going to be a statewide thing? You know, how's that going to play out? And I think that a few of those things have their way to fall, but we're definitely investing a lot of time and energy, both with those partners, with those stakeholders, and with the technology. See, that, that exactly app. describes
2: Horizon 3 initiatives, which is we don't know exactly how they're going to turn in. to a profitable business yet and we're making bets on a series of different technologies or ideas or different business systems that we think some of these will actually turn into a core business we're not sure which but we're doing it now because by the time the existing business matures these have to come along and be able to replace it
0: absolutely I mean literally a board meeting yesterday I think it was we were talking about the kind of three different and actually competing ideas that we were going to invest in at the same time like like actually, some of them couldn't happen at the same together, right? One's going to win, the other one's going to lose, but we're going to spend a bit of time in both because we're not sure. So, just on that, Pete,
1: if we look at your experience as a pretty active owner mm. in these in this company as an example, how are you how, how are you treating these initiatives differently to the core business as you're working them through? So, let's look at sensors, say, yeah. which in Horizon Two, this was this was a,
0: a, a validated growth option. Yeah. Um, how are you managing that different versus the existing it's really difficult because it's difficult to, for, how to, for the people that have to think about both. How do they know to have the right hat on at the right time? Because you need a slightly different hat to think about something that's more core than something that's more aspirational. But also kind of almost deliberately splitting those teams a bit or using external influence to do that. So if we really want to go and investigate something that's like a third horizon or fourth, right... Don't necessarily distract some of the core team on that just yet. Maybe you get some kind of consultant or someone on board to then come in and say, "What do you think about this?" Can you go and spend some time on that, report back, and then as it starts to work its way to evolve, get into the normal organisation. So I think it's about getting those levels. It's not. It's about getting the various levels of distraction at the right level. Yeah. So, yeah. Deliver, yeah. Getting the right the right people in the right job. I mean, one of the
1: things we often look at is also making sure that we've got, we're managing with the right focus and we've got the right metrics around it. So I would have thought when you're looking at sensors, you've been trying to get that to where it can support your core business, which is where it is now. At that point in time, you're probably interested in not so much around the profitability, but how do you penetrate a couple of new councils? Yeah. You've got to go and get a a base that you can then grow on. It's not so much about profitability. Mm. It's just on uh,
0: penetrating a couple of these, really. Yeah, a bit of a land grab. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that it's really interesting, like that balance between quality and validation, particularly in technical businesses, because you want to get there quick, but if you go too quick and fail, I was going to say fuck it up, then suddenly what you thought was going to be your great case study suddenly becomes your great thorn in your side when you're trying to go and get number two, three, and four. So you want to be quick enough to get there soon, but not so quick that actually it becomes a a failed example rather than a successful one. I think that's the constant battle. Yeah. And, and,
2: and screen them so that we don't have an anitone, which is we know what Horizon 3 looks like, but yeah. is it big enough to yeah. increase the business and grow? Business At, absolutely. And if
0: I think about like mm-hmm. the, the example of the third Horizon one that we were just talking about then in terms of applications and mobility as a service and all those kind of concepts that are in that horizon, they are actually scalable. They are actually globally scalable. They do have penetration that can go bigger, much yeah. bigger from a Footprint perspective than what the business currently is, right. so it's really good. It's a concept that I've just learnt today, but hopefully one that I can make sure we maintain because that idea of making sure that your third horizon stuff is actually big enough is a really interesting yeah. one. Because I think, yeah, some people can start to think, oh yeah, no, I've got an idea of what we might do in year three, and it's this, and you're like, well, actually, by that time, it's going to have to be bigger than that. Yeah. Well, I think it doesn't cover necessarily dismissing some of those other emotions because at this time, at this
1: stage, you're placing bets, and if I kind of paraphrase what you said before you've got a few options at the moment Mm. keeping them all open Mm. but you're going to have to look at some criteria that you start to screen them on. the scale and the ability to deliver impact on the business should be one of those Mm. and that's definitely something to keep in mind yeah
0: yeah awesome so just conscious of time so we might wrap up what is the best way for someone who's heard this to think more about how this might apply to their particular situation? Like, what's the step that they should start to take? I mean, obviously, they should read the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what's the simplest way to take this style of thinking and apply it to the challenge that they're currently engaging in?
2: I think it's actually to do in an internal audit, whether you do that yourself or, or with external help, to say, have you really got enough initiatives on the go that are going to meet the criteria we've talked about? It. So what are the things you know you can realise in the zero to three year time frame in the core business And what's what's that going to drive you towards? But then start to really critically look at all the other projects you've got going on. When are they likely to come to fruition? How big are they likely to be? And when you start to add those on top of the core business, will you still be growing in five years' time? And being really quite rigorous about looking at those projects just to test feasibility and scale to make sure that, in fact, they're going to deliver what you expect. Mm. So that you really are looking always on a 10 uh, plus your horizon to yeah. be able to sustain growth so make sure How you've got you three buckets and mm-hmm. they're full enough and they're full enough
1: yeah. yeah I think look at it as a continuum it's, mm. are there things that we can do with our core business now that can improve the efficiency of that so we're driving profitability do we have enough validated growth options on our plate now that we can invest in to, to grow quickly and are we placing enough bets down the future so that we're not going to have a dull moment with and a cliff, exactly. Yeah. But but look yeah. at a continuum and test it through those kind of three lenses. Profitability now. Do we have valid growth options that we can commit to soon? Mm-hmm. And have we got enough bets being placed on Horizon 3 that means that we're not facing that cliff, that we've got a full pipeline of opportunity
0: coming through? Perfect. Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Don, Andrew. Thank um you. that's the end of the podcast.